Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to CLNS Media, powered by betonline.ag. Go to clnsmedia.com slash roll. Use our promo code CLNS50 for 50% off your first deposit. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Red Sox podcast presented by CLNS Media. That's your leading online audio and video provider for Major League Baseball. I'm the host of this show, Chris Cotillo, Red Sox beat reporter for MassLive.com, and it's August 16th, episode 229. Two sponsors this week, thanks to betonline.ag, which is CLNS Media's preferred online sports book, and Indochino, which is the most exciting made-to-measure menswear company out there. So we have a very timely guest on the show this week. Um, you know, if you follow baseball, the Red Sox, you know who this guy is. It's Alex Spear from the Boston Globe, and, and more importantly this week, the author of Homegrown, How the Red Sox Built a Champion from the Ground Up. So Alex, I know you're very busy doing a lot of different media things, but thank you for uh, coming aboard and joining us this week. It's a blast, Chris, and I don't know that anything that I ever do is well-timed or timely, so I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> so, you know, I've gotten through now about a third of the book, and we've seen a lot of people all over Twitter and, you know, all over baseball really, you know, complimenting you, and, and really, um, it's been, I think, a huge hit. What was the release date? Tuesday? Tuesday, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sure a whirlwind week for you. Um, how much sleep have you gotten this week, and, and what's more stressful, I think, the actual know getting the book done or seeing how people respond to it the first week there is some stress associated with seeing how people respond to it but not that much because my wife and sons were both very were all very excited when they saw their name in the book so i feel like it was a success once (laughs) i got to see it um the the stress of getting it done was pretty considerable because it was in Mm. the context of trying to cover the team throughout spring training and the start of the season and you know just kind of like I, I basically had a couple months there where I didn't get much sleep. It was probably, uh, it was probably not a very pleasant person to be around. For which I apologize, Chris. I hope that I wasn't hurt <laughs> with you. Um, I think you're no, good. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's this has been a this has been a, a pretty exciting and special week because you know it it's been incredible to have you know to have a lot of to to feel like a part of a community that's you know encouraging and enthusiastic and supportive. It's been really cool. Yeah, and I wanted to get into that, you know, the stress of actually doing it, because I remember, you know, being on the road and, and a bunch of us lazy, regular beat writers would get our stories done and maybe go out for a few beers. And you were at that point of, no, I have to go work on the book until 4 a.m. or whatever. And just, you know, the the idea of adding that to the regular you know workload that we we all have, I think, you know, especially the beginning of the season is it was was, you know, considerable and impressive. So I guess what at the beginning of this whole thing inspired you to want to do this, knowing how much work it would take. I didn't know how much work it was going to take. <laughs> I guess that's <laughs> okay. The so you were you were uh, tricked, basically. I, 
Well, I so I the, the Boston Globe is is a great workplace, and mm-hmm. I'm very lucky to be there. And they had been supportive of the idea of you know they had, they were supportive, and the plan was that I was going to get to carve out some time at various intervals of spring training, um, and then for tragic reasons, you know, my schedule changed drastically right. during the spring when Nick Cafardo passed away, and mm-hmm. so you know the. So, uh, you know, I was dealing with a lot of grief during that time. And uh, on top of that, you know, on top of that, some of the time that was going to be allotted for the book during days was uh, was no longer available. So um, so the workload ended up being a little bit more intense than than I had anticipated. But um, I was able to get through it and I'm not quite sure how how it all got done. But uh, the impetus was I had actually, as, as you know, Chris, like, you and I have shared an interest in minor league baseball for a number of years. Um, I, I, in 2015, when the Red Sox signed Yohan Moncada and made him the most expensive prospect of all time, signing him for 63 million bucks, uh, I had the opportunity to go down to see him play, make his professional debut in Greenville. And mm-hmm. at the time, you know, it was interesting in its own right because whatever happened to Moncada was going to be really interesting because. He was the most expensive and probably the most famous prospect in some respects. Well, one of them anyway, of all time. He was going to be interesting, but you also went down to Greenville at that time. And I honestly didn't know if he was going to be the best player coming out of that group because he was joining a team that already had Rafael Devers and Michael Chavis and Michael Kopech and a couple of more obscure guys who looked like they were on very interesting paths. Guys like Mm -hmm. uh, Mauricio Dubon and Javier Guerra. And even a guy like Jalen Beeks. And then later in the year, that team added Andrew Benintendi and Anderson Espinosa. So I was yep. I thought, whoa, that's a lot of interesting, you know, for for prospect towns, that's a lot of interesting guys. And wouldn't it be interesting to chart what to chart what happened with every one of those dudes over the course of the next, let's say, five years or so? Like you'd probably learn something about player development. I didn't even mention Nick Longy, another guy who was really interesting on that mm-hmm. team. Um, and so that was the initial idea. But then towards the end of last year, it suddenly struck me, oh, by the way, I've kind of covered literally every day of the professional lives in the minor leagues of Jackie Bradley Jr. and Mookie Betts and Matt Barnes and these guys who are part of this amazing Red Sox team, this historic Mm -hmm. Red Sox team. So if I were to take what I've learned about that 2015 group and kind of overlay it with everything that I had already learned about guys who were teammates from, you know, more or less, you know, 2012 on, uh, you might have something interesting that uh, that said something about how team building works in the era of teams trying to build homegrown champions. Um, and, you know, it was kind of, well, if I don't do it now, when's there ever going to be a better time right. to do this? So, you know, <laughs> so caution to the wind, let's go. Mm-hmm. And so how much of everything that's in there did you already know versus how much did you learn in the process of, of actually writing it? I knew a lot and I learned a lot, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because I had been covering these guys, you know, I I knew things about the about kind of some of the pivotal points of Mookie Betts's development trajectory, even though I don't I don't think I knew, for instance, how close he was to quitting Mm -hmm. uh, or how real that idea was for him back in, you know, back in early 2013. I had documented how his his career took an abrupt uh, reshaping in 2013, but didn't know that um, didn't know that he had kind of arrived at a crossroads right before it turned. Um, so I, I had a pretty good grounding on on a lot of this stuff. I had, you know, again, I had seen the rise of Jackie Bradley Jr. as one of the best prospects in baseball in 2012 mm-hmm. uh, in that of, you know, Matt Barnes. And, had, you know, I, I knew I had, I had seen these guys when they were really young. 
I've been having conversations with Xander Bogart since he was 18, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, So from that point standpoint, I I had a really nice framework. But then over the course of researching the book, you know, and I I had the good fortune. I I was I'm very grateful to the people. There were a lot of people who were very generous with their time, giving me additional stuff on the backstories of, of their careers and of the Red Sox organization over that roughly eight year span. So I, I learned a lot as well. Yeah, and it seems like, you know, the front office and then people who have worked there before, people who work there now were really open to opening up, you know, no pun intended, opening up the book <laughs> and, and really, you know, being very helpful to you. Were you, I guess, surprised at the level of, you know, cooperation from everybody that you got? I know these guys can be very buttoned up and very private about certain things. Uh, there were, there, yes, I, I think the extent of, you know, the extent to which I was able to get access to, you know, that some of these guys were, you know, some, some of the front office members and some of the players especially were, you know, unguarded in ways that, you know, it, right. it, it, it's hard to achieve on a day-to-day basis. But, mm-hmm. you know, because, because maybe because of the relationships that I've had with them from very early in their professional careers, we were able to talk about some points that maybe they hadn't thought about in, in quite a while and, as a result, I felt like there were there were surprising, you know, and illuminating exchanges. And, and the same was true of the front office type. Some of that is because, you know, they were coming off of a championship, right, which probably yep, puts exactly. people in a better mood, mm-hmm. given that they were, you know, they were at times talking about things that went very wrong for them over the course of the previous few years. Um, yep. But some of the some of it is also that, you know, they some some guys have gained perspective. Uh, additional perspective since moving on to other organizations that uh, that probably informed some of the way in which they were willing to interact on this conversation. Yeah, no, it's definitely you know, at least the point that I've gotten to, you know, all the front office members that were really part of that uh, 2011 draft class, which ended up being so pivotal and kind of the ins and outs of that draft night. I thought, you know, really interesting that you were able to get that much on the behind the scenes and even kind of how the office was structured with with Theo hitting a golf ball and hitting Ben Charrington and (laughs) and those kind of things that are just you know obviously uh, early in the book and then getting into you know Ben Charrington's a guy that I think is fair to say that he you know I obviously didn't cover him on the beat but knowing him a little bit was pretty guarded and, and didn't usually give up a lot and he you know however you got it. You were able to outline, you know, his plan, his, his three-step plan for getting the Red Sox and keeping them contenders and, you know, almost lucking into a world championship in 2013. So, you know, especially with, with guys like Ben and uh, some other front office members who are at times hard to crack, I thought it was cool that, you know, maybe um, being able to look back gave them the the will to, to really explain and want to be a part of it. And also, I, do you feel that, you know, once you got a couple guys, and obviously it's a tight knit group of, of front office executives and even players, do you feel like there's a part of it that's like, oh, I talked to this one guy and he really opened up and he told me this, and maybe he passes along word to another guy. Oh yeah, no, it's cool. I, I told him this, this, and this. So it, you're cool to expand upon whatever. Do you feel like there's a snowball effect at all there? Totally, uh, because once you start finding out details, you know, for instance, like the fact that you know, I, the fact that I, I had a better sense of John Ten, John Farrell's managerial tenure than I had had while I was covering it on a day-to-day basis and yeah. had heard, you know, had heard some stuff about the dynamics related to, you know, related to how John was interacting with the players and interacting with Dave Dombrowski. And so when, when I did get, you know, when I did connect with John Farrell, you know, the conversation was very different than kind of fishing 
it was like, okay, this is kind of what I heard. Yeah. And so then you're able to have a very different conversation that frames what you do. And so, yeah, I, I think that characterizing it as something of a snowball effect where you're able to get into, you're able to mine more precise details because you're starting with more precise details. You've already kind of chiseled a bit deeper into the earth. Right. How would how many interviews and how many hours of interviews? I think that's always a, a great question to ask when you have, you know, 300 something pages full of uh, full of this kind of stuff. It's it's a little bit tricky to say, right, because like I've been covering these guys for, you know, for yeah. their entire minor league careers. So really, you know, I've been interviewing Xander Bogart since 2011. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I've been talking to members of the Red Sox front office for, you know, for the better part of <laughs> I've been on the beat a while, Chris, for like, yeah. this is my 18th season <laughs> now. So wow. uh, so that informs some of, you know, so there are you can view the book as kind of a funneling of probably thousands of conversations that have happened with hundreds of people, you know, mm -hmm. over the course of hundreds of hours over the years, um, specifically when the book was, you know, once I once I decided to do the book and what I was doing from that point forward, I would say I probably I probably conducted, I would guess, at least 100 new interviews over the course of uh, over the course of those few months that, mm -hmm. you know, that probably had, I don't know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was like another hundred hours of, uh, of material that came out of it. Yeah. That's crazy. It sounds, you know, it sounds like a lot, but then for transcribing five minutes at a time on a daily basis and how long that takes, I can only imagine. Uh, I I'll be honest, Chris, I outsourced the transcription. There is, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had to, I, I guess you have to, to the book unless, uh, there, there was a, a very convenient online transcription service, um, <laughs> that, uh, that was well worth the investment. I'm thinking you're putting, you know, the wife and kids to work. Just, you guys are going to learn <laughs> typing as quickly as possible and transcribing. And, um, but no online transcription sounds like it's necessary for this type of project. Five years old is not too early to start with it. I guess right, I'll, exactly. I'll inform my I'll inform my younger son of that. Yeah, work ethic. You gotta install it early, you know. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you can I be think, the next Chris Cotillo. Yeah. Now I don't know if you want that. Um, I think something interesting that that you talked a lot about is the idea of that the Red Sox had to hit on lottery tickets, you know, a, a lot, and um, getting them all signed was one thing, especially in kind of the crazy. Um, atmosphere that was going on back in 2011 but the fact that you know Mookie Betts I guess is a huge part of the book and maybe the the biggest lottery ticket of all just because you know he obviously wasn't as highly touted as some other guys and um I think his personality is is misunderstood by a lot of people and that was a big part of of it's a big part of the daily conversation for us now you know he's heading a year away from free agency what were you able to learn about him specifically through this process that might inform how uh, you think he'll approach moving forward and, and either um, signing an extension or hitting free agency in a year? To me, you know, I, I've, I view what Mookie Betts has done in terms of treating, in terms of recognizing baseball as, as a business, the contract side of baseball as a business that's divorced from like, you know, that's kind of divorced from sentiment. Like he, he really loves being with the Red Sox and has a great appreciation of a lot of people in the organization. Um, he's really close to guys who he's come up with. He's close to front office members and coaches. Uh, you know, he, there are a lot of people who, who feel very close to Mookie Betts in the Red Sox organization. But uh, mm -hmm. from the time that he turned pro, from the time that he was making the decision at literally the 11th hour about whether or not 
to sign with the Red Sox after being drafted in the fifth round in 2011 or whether or not to enroll at Tennessee. And he was packing his bags on that night. It has always been a business and it's always been a question of, okay, look, total respect for you. He had a really good dynamic with guys like Ami Al-Sadeh, who was the director uh, who was the, uh, the director of amateur scouting at the time, and with Mike Rickard, who was a cross-checker, who's now the Red Sox director of amateur scouting, had a really good relationship with those guys through the process, but was like, I have great respect for you, but you know, I'm, I also believe that if you want me not to go to college, then I'm worth this, and you know, I respect it if you decide that's not the case, and if that's true, then I'll go to college. And so the Red Sox who had been offering roughly $350,000 for most of the summer, ended up giving Mookie Betts exactly what he wanted, Mm $750,000 to sign on that last day. So you think about that as your introduction to the business of baseball. Right. Well, Mookie Betts said, I'm worth this. And the Red Sox said, you know what? After After we kind of try to hold the line for a while, we're going to cave because you are right. You are worth that much. And so... You know, he won in that negotiation. He's been willing to he's been willing to say I'm worth this amount, you know, whether it's uh, whether it was when the Red Sox renewed his contract um, after the 20 what after the 2015 season, whether mm-hmm. it was, you know, whether it was going to arbitration uh, two years in a row. Well, he 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 settled in the second year, right? Like he settled. Yeah. For 20 they... million dollars this year. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's been his his belief that. That he should be compensated for his skills and abilities um, without any rancor, without any hostility towards the organization, uh, has been borne out every time he's had a financial issue to discuss. So I, I do think that that, you know, that that context is relevant. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, there's probably my my guess, uh, my suspicion is that Mookie has said, you know, OK, I'll you know, I'm if you guys would be interested in me long term, this is probably what it would take. And, you know, and if the Red Sox haven't met that, he's probably like, that's that's fine. Totally get where you're coming from. Business decision on your part. You know, we'll see whether or not, you know, we'll see where that takes us whenever, you know, whenever free agency arrives. It's not a matter of like, oh, I hate the Red Sox or anything like yep. that. It's just how the business works in his in in his experience. Yeah. And I, I think well, I was mixed up there for a second, but it was the, the pre-arb deal where they renewed him instead of. Right. Exactly. That was the, that was okay. Exactly. So that was the, the first go around, and then second one going arbitration, and the third one uh, giving him twenty million last winter. I think you know something that Mookie struggled with, and I talked to a few different guys on the beat about this this week. Well, I think for for better or for worse, if it's deserved or not, you know, some people may view that type of you know focusing on things as strictly a business as as t- a type of apathy. You know what I mean by that? I think I, there's this. Yeah, no, it's it's easy to misconstrue, and right. our assumption is always that the player should uh, should have this undying loyalty to the mm-hmm. team that he plays for and the city that you know the city that he's played in, as if you know as if the the team did him some great favor right. by giving him this opportunity. Well, the reality is that Mookie Betts has kind of done the Red Sox a great favor by the fact that he uh, ended up signing out of high school. And ended up giving them these many extraordinary years. So um, I, I totally get that perspective. I totally get the idea of, you know, it's unfathomable wealth for most of us to think about mm-hmm. the numbers that players are supposed to be earning. Um, but for some reason, it's not viewed as, you know, like in, in terms of how uh, the public perceives that dynamic, oftentimes it's viewed as a referendum on whether or not the player wants to be a member of uh, a member of an organization, as opposed to a question of whether or not the team is giving the player what he deserves. Um, and 
again, it's understandable because it's unfathomable riches. But I think that, you know, the, the next person who says that a single dollar that the Red Sox have spent on Mookie bets has been misspent uh, will be the first. Yeah, no, totally, totally understand that that perspective. And we're going to talk about another guy who obviously did sign an extension in a second. That's Xander Bogarts. Great segue here. Xander Bogarts, I've seen recently this week in an Indochino commercial, which is one of our sponsors today. So, uh, yeah, seriously, he was in there. I was, I was like, wow, this is uh, it's the podcast sponsor, and there's Xander Bogarts going to the plate in a, in a made-to-measure suit. Indochino is the world's most exciting made-to-measure company. They measure suits to fit better compared to generic off-the-rack suits. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for an unparalleled fit and comfort. I just ordered mine and completed the process online. It was very easy. Got an anti-wrinkle shirt, which is very important for me because still can't you know one full year out of college the iron is still not my best friend um living alone it's it's a struggle so getting the anti-wrinkle shirt is important if you're looking to get married it's a wardrobe changer yeah exactly it's uh it's i didn't even get a light blue shirt which is what everybody else on the beat (laughs) you know criticizes me for on a daily basis if you're looking to get married which i am absolutely not they have tons of (laughs) options for those looking to outfit their wedding party Guys love the wide selection of high-quality fabrics and colors to choose from, not to mention the option to personalize the details, including your lapel, lining, pockets, buttons, and writing your own monogram. For example, if you're Alex Spear, your monogram could be Stats Masterson. That would be a very unique Indochino monogram. Here's how it works. You can visit a stylist at their showroom. There's over 40, including one on Newbury Street in Boston, and have them take your measurements personally or measure at home and shop online at Indochino.com. Choose your fabric inside and out. Choose your design customizations. Submit your measurements with your choices and relax while your suit gets professionally tailored and mailed to you in a couple weeks. I will, on as soon as it comes in, I will wear it. Even though you can't see me, I will wear it to record the podcast and be extremely comfortable. This week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $369 at Indochino.com while entering socks, SOX, at the checkout. Shipping is free. That's Indochino.com, promo code SOX for any premium suit, $369 and free shipping. It's an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit, and once you go custom, you don't go back. So, back to Xander Bogarts, who wears an Indochino suit on a commercial that I just saw for the first time the other day. He's a guy that, you know, I've, even in my year and a half or whatever on the beat, have found to be extremely pleasant on a daily basis, extremely forthcoming, extremely easy to deal with in the media, Um, and he is assume the role of a leader in the clubhouse as you mentioned uh, in the book and and obviously people have talked about before he's four days apart from Mookie Betts uh, which one's older is it uh, Xander is Xander by older than Mookie. four days yes. yeah yes so they've you know been through this their whole careers basically together Xander took a very different path in negotiating his future he basically identified really early I want to sign long term I might be able to take uh, a hometown discount of sorts which he did um and signed that that deal right around early april mookie is taking the more you know business and and kind of hardline stance on it i don't know if you if this is something that that they've gotten into but do you think xander is is trying to convince mookie of of staying at this point or, or what is their relationship close enough where they you know get into that kind of thing it's a it's an interesting question. I, I think that players often try to stay out of each other's lanes when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, making determinations about their futures. Um, I, I would be, you know, I think the players are very much respectful of, of whatever direction their colleagues want to go in. You know, for instance, like David Price is someone who 
who avoided signing any long-term deals with the Rays right. or then with the Tigers coming up or with the Blue Jays, for that matter, uh, during his couple months there. But he was so happy for Chris Sale when Sale signed his contract extension. So I, I think the guys have a pretty good understanding that everyone's indiv- everyone's decision is very individual and that there are different, you know, there are different decision-making variables that everyone has to wait for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that makes you know a lot of sense. I think it, it's interesting kind of to see how the two guys who, like I said, four days apart decide to lead in kind of different ways. Mookie's is a lot quieter and, and doesn't try to be, you know, that guy in the media and Xander just kind of lets his natural personality flow uh, when he talks to us and, and comes across as as a guy who is, is a true you know big time leader in that clubhouse and Alex Cora referenced that and has all season especially after um, he signed that extension there's there's kind of a perception now I think and this is something that I'm sure that you hope to debunk with the book that the Red Sox by having the highest payroll in baseball bought a championship last year I think there are people that think, think okay they went out and acquired sale they they signed Price, they signed JD. There's a bunch of these high price guys, and there's a lot of really expensive players on this roster. And then there's the old adage are these Red Sox becoming what the Yankees used to be? You know, just buying these, you know, high price free agents. Is that, I guess, in, in basketball, you can. You can buy, you know, three guys and have a really good chance. I think what your book shows and what the Red Sox showed last year is that. Spend as much money as you want. Unless you have that core of homegrown, cheap, controllable guys, it's impossible to, to win at the highest level, right? Yeah, I, I think that the Red Sox had a the Red Sox were have incredible resources. Make no mistake. They have incredible financial resources. They outspent every team in baseball last year, and they were able to add on high priced guys like Martinez, no question. Uh, but all of that is kind of a function of what the homegrown contributions look like. So if you don't have, you know, if you don't have guys like Benintendi or Betts or Bogarts contributing at pennies on the dollar as guys who are coming up, if you don't have that nucleus this year, Devers, obviously, then it renders your roster so inflexible that you aren't really in a position to be able to add on those kind of finishing touches, even as a big market team. So um, there, there's, you know, again, make no mistake, the Red Sox have incredible resources and, you know, some people have joked the name of the book could also be resources. Um, but uh, but what the, what the Red Sox like it, the book kind of explains how almost all of those decisions, whether it was the decision to uh, to sign to sign Price as a free agent rather than to make a trade at that time or why the decision to trade some very impressive, potentially very important prospect chips for Chris Sale at that time was the right one based as a function of what the rest of that homegrown roster, that homegrown core looked like. Yeah. And I think it's obviously always intertwined because the prospects that you're trading for a guy like Chris Sale or a guy like Craig Kimbrell are always, you know, brought up through your system for the most part. And um, those assets turn into more major league ready assets. And uh, especially with a guy like Dave Dombrowski at the helm, it, it turns into, um, more of a, a win now situation. So I know this is this is a new story, and, and I'll leave before we we do a little bit more promoting in the book. My last question here for Alex Spear: You have a great understanding of the ins and outs of the front office and everything. There's now talk that David Dombrowski might not be back this year. At this point, do you have? You know, I've been asking every guest in the last few weeks about this. Do you have a prediction on on where the Red Sox will go in their front office moving forward? 
I do not. Uh, I, you know, I, I get that it's, you know, I, I think that what we know is that the Red Sox are entering a different phase of team building than the mm-hmm. one that Dave Dombrowski was hired for and the one that, you know, and the one that he was very successful through 2018 in, in allowing them to achieve. Yep. You know, that was, that they, he, he inherited a great budding young core and he supplemented it in really smart ways and really, you know, in really successful ways uh, from, you know, from the off season of 2015, 2016 through 2018. But um, aside from the trade of, you know, aside from the trade of prospects for Kimbrell and for sale, he was not in a position where he had to think about kind of pulling off the add and subtract, reshaping what the what the major league roster, what the major league core players look like. Yep. Um, so I, I think that there are different questions that confront the Red Sox now than the ones that he was hired to address. And so the Red Sox will kind of, you know, the Red Sox, I mean, they don't even have to make a decision this offseason. They, they, he is under contract through 2020. Mm-hmm. But they kind of have to decide their organizational direction and who the best person is going to be for you know who who the best who the best decision maker is going to be for leading that charge and like one of the points that the book makes is that context changes who the best decision maker is. Right. Ben Charrington made a lot of correct decisions uh, from you know I, I I realized that there were some catastrophic ones on the major league roster that were made mm-hmm. under his tenure, but he made a lot of correct decisions with regards to management of the core. Uh, but they were very different decisions than the ones that David Dombrowski was brought in to make. Um, in terms of supplementing that and for in the context of the times they were in both of them made a lot of really accurate really good decisions that had to ultimately overlap to permit a season like 2018 to come together but there are always going to be some some you know missteps that happen and you know some of those I think we may be seeing uh, as some of those help to explain why 2019 hasn't been able to replicate last year's magic. Yeah, and I someone said the other day in the clubhouse, and it was a reporter, I forget who, Red Sox would be in great shape if they could just have three years of Charrington and three years of Dombrowski and then go back to Charrington for three years and just keep that cycle of building up and then going for it and then building up and then going for it. But obviously that type of thing is, is never going to happen. So um, The Steinbrennerian mantra will not have <laughs> Billy Martin coming back anytime soon. Um, I was going to apologize for being a little all over the place with the podcast, but you just went on the Brad Foe show. So this is something that you're absolutely <laughs> used to because he was the guest last week on here. And it was like it was in a thousand different directions, as Rob tends to do. But that is Alex Beer from the Boston Globe. Please tell everybody uh, where they could find Homegrown. I'm sure in 2019, you can find it just about anywhere, right? Yeah, the the magic of uh, the first of all, you know, it's awesome to get out to local bookstores and support them. And a number of them in the area are carrying the book, which is really cool. I'm doing a signing event um, at my neighborhood bookstore in Dedham called the Blue Bunny uh, this coming weekend. But uh, yes, it is also available in all larger retailers. You know, you can find it in Barnes and Noble and uh, and then in that magical land called the interweb. There you go. So thank you to Alex Spear. Everybody go read Homegrown. I will be getting through it this weekend. Me reading on a weekend, that's very rare. So, you know, it's a good book when that happens. I'm flattered. Thank you, Alex. (laughs) Thanks a lot, Chris. Appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing you in your bespoke suit. Sounds good. Thanks. Bad news, Red Sox fans. The Red Sox currently have only a plus 2,000 chance, 20 to 1, chance of winning the American League, according to betonline.ag, and a plus 3,300, 33 to 1 chance of winning the World Series. That puts them tied for 12th in baseball with the Brewers and the Mets. Imagine thinking before the season that the Red Sox and Mets would be tied for World Series odds this late in the year. 
That's according to Bet Online AG. CLNS Media's preferred online sports book. Six weeks left in baseball season for you to bet on any baseball games you want. You can start with the Red Sox and Orioles this weekend, maybe the Red Sox and Phillies next weekend. And also, the NFL preseason is underway. To celebrate another season kickoff, Bet Online AG and CLNS Media are giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag. That's AG like Attorney General to use your mobile device to join today and use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines this football season. Get into all the action with betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. A minimum deposit of $55 is required to qualify for the bonus. You'll receive a 50% bonus on your qualifying first deposit only. Maximum bonus per deposit, $1,000. That's betonline.ag, CLNS Media's preferred online sportsbook.